Remember, all talk back to an ears, boys, until show begins. Radio check. Check. You guys uh, about ready? Front of house, you guys good? Front of house is good to go. Stand by. Stage left. Cruising over here, cruising. Ready? Gonna go easy. Lee looks good. I have to take that. Dom, Josh, you guys good? Stage right. Go for show, go for show. From Super High Quality Productions, this is season three of the Super High Quality Podcast with the War on Drugs. I mean, it was an, a completely uninteresting and very dark time. Great soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm Dominic East, and this is Live Drugs Again. I'm going to try to tell the story. I'm going to tell you about a year on the road unlike any I think any of us had ever experienced before. We uh, started our world tour in support of I Don't Live Here Anymore in Austin, Texas in mid-January 2022. And by the time we were done with our drug December shows, we'd done over 100 gigs. And now a year later, as we look towards our next run of shows... We're going to go back and try to make sense of everything we experienced. We had a year of absolutely incredible shows. Sometimes we pulled them off under really extreme circumstances. And as much as this is our story, it's also the story we share with everyone who came out to a show and supported the band when it might have been easier to skip the gig. So this is our story of an extraordinary year on tour. think back on the last year it's sort of like the band coming to a new part of the career you know and you when you're a young band you just really want you really want to get like pitchfork to sign off on you and you really want to get on that main stage and then you get older and you, you just want to connect to the fans and you want to do things on your own terms and you want to give like these people who spend their hard-earned money on your show give them something that's uh, worthwhile, et cetera, et cetera. If you look at that tour in 20 years, uh, you would not be able to kind of understand the nature of that tour, what happened and how it felt to be playing those shows and who was there and um, how many people showed up. (laughs) 
All right, thank you. How's everybody doing? Great to see you. One thing I feel like I've heard people talk about is like, you know, COVID uh, amnesty. You know, it's just like, let's just forgive ourselves and each other for what we didn't know because no one knew anything. As we began our U.S. tour in January 2022, Anthony made the difficult decision to sit out the first few shows. We wrestled so much with how to honor our road warrior instincts, which are telling us to do every show, no matter what, and most importantly, take into consideration Anthony's health. Something he's not always excited to talk about. He just wants to live and do shows. But when we have this virus that seems to be very dangerous for people with compromised immune systems, Anthony was always at the front of our minds. Fear, confusion, hesitation. I mean, looking back on it, it's like almost embarrassing to be like, why didn't I do those shows? Or why was I so like hesitant to... But then like thinking back on it, it was like the first time that anyone had done it. And it, and also, I also forget that like we were going out as everything was like really starting to spike again. You know, I remember calling we're like, hey man, if you aren't feeling good about this, like it's okay to sit this out and see how it goes or, you know, wait a few days or whatever. So Anthony didn't come to Texas with us. But since the last time we'd been on tour, the band had now expanded to include a seventh member. If you listened to last season of the Super High Quality Podcast, you may remember the band talking about the possibility of adding someone to play the cowbell on I Don't Want to Wait. Let's check the game tape from last season. There's like a cowbell, like, to me, this like, really important cowbell that's playing quarter notes throughout the outro. And you're like, oh man, we gotta get someone who can sing it, but also play cowbell on I Don't Wanna Wait, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to add another member because we would always get into this thing where there was always just one too many parts for the six of us to hold down. Sometimes you just needed someone to just like, hold down the foundation of a lot of these songs. So we had kind of been joking about it being Eliza only because she was somebody we all knew had been touring for years. She was a great player. She's a great singer. She was really easy to get along with. She was one of us. When Adam wrote me an email to be like, Hey, like there's this bit that you're in our band. Like, why don't you come to LA and see how that works out? And I was like, Oh my God, that would be so amazing. The first time I heard her sing on like Rings Were My Father's Eyes, it was just like perfect. The texture of her voice is, I think, something that we have needed. So covering all sorts of ground for us on keyboards, guitar, vocals, and of course, cowbell was our friend Eliza Hardy-Jones. Having Eliza in the band has just been so, so awesome. She completely elevates the sound of the band in a way that only she can. Obviously, you add another element, another person. It just changes how you listen. But also, I think that just the difference of going from six people to seven people has also created the possibility of, like, you can be resting at some point, you know? Like, you don't always have to be covering a part. Having an extra set of hands, always kind of holding down some sort of foundation on the music, 
it lets everybody else like react to the music instead of have to like perform the music. Chased by snow and cold, we were masked 12 hours a day. We were masking everywhere. Masking backstage, masking on the bus, masking. And then when we had days off, because of the COVID, we never left our hotel rooms. That first year was true. We were wearing masks on our own buses. We were so worried about like having there be like an outbreak that would just take out everybody. And we were definitely not hanging out with the crew, which is such a weird thing. We'd done, what, a few days of rehearsals in Austin, a couple shows. So we're like a week and a half in. Houston, I remember sitting outside at those tables after the gig. And like, that was the first time Eliza saw Josh without a mask. And she was like, whoa. <laughs> yes. I think I like yelped. I was like, look at that mustache. When Eliza saw me a week or two after only knowing me, with a mask on, she was visibly surprised slash disconcerted. My brain had written the rest of his face and it was not the face that he had. <laughs> and he had such a magnificent mustache, like a truly legendary mustache. The plan was to drive and meet you guys in Nashville. I remember I was going up to visit my dad and then Craig called me, like, right when I was walking in. He was like, did you leave yet for Nashville? I was like, no. He's like, well, don't, don't go. Don't go anywhere. So we leave Houston. We have a drive stop in North Little Rock, Arkansas. I think everybody was concerned about maybe Natchez being sick. It was like, John, how are you feeling today? Gave him a test. That came back negative. And then Adam woke up. It said, you know, basically came in the front and was like, I feel terrible. And I handed him a test and his room was ready and he went straight up to his room. And, uh, and then he texted me back. He's like, yeah, it's positive. Did another one and it was positive. So what do we do now? Start counting the days, right? Okay, so what does that mean for canceling shows? And that probably means, okay, we cancel... Nashville and Atlanta, and hopefully he tests negative so that he can go to Philadelphia. Morale was low. I remember that hearing some whispers that like crew morale was low when we were in Arkansas. I mean, it was a completely uninteresting and very dark time. Every day we would walk to that like very strange fake pioneer garden and all kind of like stand really far away from each other, <laughs> like wave at each other and not knowing like, are we going to do this for four days or for 10 days? Like what is going on here? We knew if we canceled that tour, our whole album cycle would have been shot, you know, and we had also thought basically at the beginning of that tour that Europe was going to be canceled too. We had assumed that was going to not happen. We're like, all right, well, if you cancel this tour and then that hap that tour cancels, like, then we're done. Yeah, you just like, it just felt like every day you were reading about like another tour that was like ending. I felt like, oh, well, maybe I did make the right decision. Staying home because I, you know, was afraid to get sick because 
who knows if COVID would affect me differently because I'm more high risk or whatever. And then those shows getting canceled, it was like, oh, okay, maybe this was the right call. I was sitting in that horrible hotel room in Arkansas and then getting on the plane to Philly and being like, I hope we can do this because the, the consensus seemed to be if Philly couldn't happen, that was sort of the end of the tour, that it just wouldn't make financial sense to cancel and reschedule more than those two shows. Well, after what seemed like an eternity, we finally left our quarantine in North Little Rock, Arkansas, and the entire tour party, except Adam, traveled up to Philadelphia. The plan was for Adam to join us the day of our first Philly show. Unsure if that gig is gonna go down like as late as three in the afternoon. The singer was trying to get out of Little Rock. The thing I remember about those shows is like a pretty heroic Adam performance. I'd been on the airplane and I'd just basically been in a hotel room and um, Little Rock for five, six days at that point. Basically from that to a stage. And my ears hadn't, didn't pop. The first night, I couldn't really hear anything. I felt like I was like I was 50 feet underwater. But I remember the second night, my ears settled in and we had a great show. Well, after Philadelphia, we headed north to New York City for our first time ever playing Madison Square Garden, the world's most famous arena. It was crazy that it started that ins with that much insanity right out of the gate. I mean, Texas, I got COVID on day four of tour. Luckily, we only had to cancel two shows, spend six days in North Little Rock, Arkansas. Then the rest is history, basically. Once we got to Philly, it was like, boom, Anthony's with us. I'm back. And then just went for it. You got to remember, I'm sitting in Little Rock. And, and, I, and I mean, I was just like, this whole year is over. It just felt like we hadn't even started and everything was falling apart. Tribute to like some, some positivity and some perseverance a few days later to be just totally dominating a show in a blizzard. It started blizzarding in Philly blizzarding a word yeah i mean that, that that did become the sort of the theme of that whole tour was like was like really like maybe what made so many of these shows so memorable was that it did just feel like we're doing it we're pulling this off against all the odds you know it was like the worst circumstances to do a big show like that blizzard covid you know everything he just kind of rolled up to Madison Square Garden on this strange psychedelic tour where like we felt like we were one of the only bands out doing it at that level at that time. We, there's nothing not much we could have we could have really done around that show. Like couldn't do promo. We didn't even have an opener for that show. I mean, you know, it's like now we would have had two openers. The people just cancel shows for like little things and and this was pretty heroic. As we were driving in, it was like, New York City is shutting down the metro line. Like, there's no subways. There's no public transit. And, like, when we were getting ready to play, I was like, you know, just be prepared for the fact that, like, 
not everyone's going to make it to this show. And then feeling the room fill up and feeling the excitement and, you know, there's a reason that certain rooms are legendary and you feel that. The main thing for me, having lived in New York, was that like really special city in a blizzard feeling that I feel is like is pretty unique to big cities that get a lot of snow where there is like a big winter event, but there's something you really want to do and you just do it anyway. And you sort of have to like exert a lot of force of will and energy to get to that place. And then you're there and you're so psyched. It felt like a club gig. It felt like everyone who was there wanted to be there. I don't know. It just felt really surprisingly warm and intimate. I mean, all like the stress involved in those big shows, like it was just like, it felt like you were, people were watching a sound check. It didn't feel like this big moment. It felt like uh, an intimate gathering that was happening at Madison Square Garden. I mean, my memory of that gig is that it was like pretty chill. It was like a bizarre alternate universe, like friends and family gig. At those bigger shows, I usually kind of get too thinky, which is not a good place for me to be playing music. And I usually don't enjoy the show. But that night, I think because of those great vibes, I had fun and played and the people were just sort of like, everyone was just like very, you know, blissfully and unreflexively psyched to be there. I think there was also something to like, there were enough things to also make it feel different, like about just about how the the shows were going too, of like not having an opener, not having any guests. I think that probably also subconsciously put us in a different headspace. In the moment, it was very special. And I felt like we clicked as a band that night. It was one of the first shows where the music felt very easy to play. You know, with the snowstorm and people come, it was, it was, it was really beautiful. And I felt like I really got to soak in the moment of, of being there and, and appreciating enjoying the space and that we were playing together there. We will probably never experience a gig like that again, where it was like this massive deal, but it also wasn't at all because people had just gone through a lot to be there, including ourselves, including our band. It just felt like everybody that was there wanted to be there because they had to fucking walk through the snow and it felt so warm in there. It was so cool. It was kind of like, all right, we're here. We all made it. It's crazy outside. Let's play some songs. I, I have these these pair of like white vinyl boots that I wear, you know, which are they're white vinyl boots. You know, I'm walking out on stage on MSG, my yeah, my sole fell off my shoe. That was that was weird. You know, we're only five or six shows in and, and we're already kind of in the zone with these new songs, you know? Whereas in the past Maybe the middle of your European tour, you're like, oh, we finally got a hang of it. Like, we did so much preparation for this tour that by the time all seven of us were on the stage starting in Philly, we didn't really need that much time. 
by New York, it was like, oh wow, Harmonia's Dream is like already on that new level. I don't want to wait. It feels epic. It's a sweet gig. Looking back on it, I definitely didn't know what I was doing yet. <laughs> there was a lot more later on that I did. <laughs> I believe that was my, also my last um, performance on, on the, the electric guitar. R.I.P. I think I got to play four or five shows on, on guitar until uh, Anthony came back in the fold. After that show, we were all like, just, you know, riding on sort of the victory of it all, of like recovering from COVID, of having all seven of us, of like this historic blizzard that had shut down the city. And we're all like just really happy and enjoying each other's company. And then night's over, we go onto the bus and the snow plow had pushed snow against the bus generator, which had broken the bus generator. So the bus was like 11 degrees. <laughs> Sweet success, ultimate victory. When we got back to the bus, the heater had broken. And it was just like, oh, this is deeply unpleasant. This is what tour in January feels like. I've been living in L.A. the last three years and not going on the road. It's like it didn't end in New York. I mean, we had like freezing blizzards all the way through the Midwest. We're talking like negative 18 degrees outside. It was all like record snowfall, record this, record ice, record temperature. And on top of COVID, what else can you throw at us? didn't matter the weather we're, we're gonna get to these gigs you know sometimes people are like oh you can't play that gig how are we gonna get there we're like we're gonna get there you can get there we're gonna get there columbus was crazy that's the night i got covid we had no backstage and the, the parking lot was iced over and then the crowd was really close to us and then i i had covid two days later in detroit I do remember uh, those Chicago shows helping Craig, or trying to help Craig prepare for sitting in for Dave. <laughs> he was very, very stressed. With Dave sidelined, we uh, went to the bench and got our tour manager, Craig, to fill in on bass for a few shows. Totally knew all the tunes and was like, could have done the gig without any stuff, but he was just like compulsively running through stuff in his production office. It sucks to not have Dave. It sucks that he's sick. But it was also like, man, this is great. Like, we're just totally doing it. But yeah, I mean, it is amazing that Craig just fucking stepped in. I think this is probably where you'd expect to hear a comment from our tour manager, Craig. But unfortunately, he has not responded to multiple requests to comment. So all I can leave you with is what he said into the talk to stage mics midway through the set. I think I'm so dehydrated, my arms aren't working. I feel like we got to like the middle of that show and I was just like, this is incredible, <laughs> like we're doing it. And that felt awesome, you know? It like feels awesome to have such a strong group of people who are able to just pick up the pieces for each other. I missed the first Chicago and then I played the second Chicago. Lindsay and Hazy were there, and at one point Lindsay like lifted Hazy into the air, and I just like started hysterically crying, and then I had to like get myself back together <laughs> so I could keep singing. 
Craig was amazing on bass. Full credit to him. He was the guy who filled in on bass. But I got to play bass on, like, a couple tunes, which is, like, my favorite thing in terms of, like, personal onstage highlights. Harmonia's Dream in Chicago on bass was up there for me. Obviously, COVID was still raging. Terrible weather. I mean, still having massive turnouts to our shows. Besides Second Night in Milwaukee, which might have been my favorite show of the tour. Super Bowl Sunday. People in Wisconsin who are not watching the Super Bowl are super psyched to be where they are. was amazing because it was unhinged. Two shows at the Riverside Theater, the second of which was probably, I don't know, the, maybe the capacity is 2,000, maybe 1,800. We probably had 700 people there, which was awesome. It felt like a humbling sort of moment. By the end of the night, it felt like a club show, and it was like the loosest this band is. It was like taking requests, and it felt like a small room. It was still 700 people. There was something relaxing about having it a third full and it's like intimate in a way that we hadn't really got to do yet. That was one of my favorite memories of the tour. Everywhere we went was where the weather had gone. It was so cold and so snowy. Our driver telling us like, oh, we're driving through two blizzards tonight, driving from Denver to Seattle. And you're like, oh, you mean over four different mountain ranges? Great. I'm sure I'll sleep great was just incredible that we were actually out there doing it to the point where it was almost like, should we be out here doing this? But that's like all we know. I mean, 15 years ago, we were doing that. Like we were playing Denver, getting in our van at 1.30 in the morning and driving three hours through the snowy mountains. So Dave could book, book a Priceline hotel because we needed to make the next gig. You know, it doesn't really change. We're used to doing it. You know, it's just, it's just this time, it just felt like, it just felt like crazier than normal, but we just tore our ass off because that's what you do when you want to like chip away at something and be better every day, you know? Well, the band kept chipping away at the new songs. Everyone stayed healthy. The bus drivers and truck drivers kept the wheels rolling safely, and we finally made it to the West Coast. It did snow in Seattle, but by the time we hit Los Angeles, the weather had turned a corner. Yeah, the L.A. show was just like, felt like spring. Oh, yeah, man. I remember walking around, breathing in that warm air. 
On a beautiful sunny day at the end of February, we pulled into Phoenix, Arizona for the final show of this first leg of our world tour. Yeah, it was incredible. I feel like LA felt that way too. It was just like anytime you could like sit outside and it would be warm and you didn't have a mask on. It was just like, ah, oh, I'm a human again. And with an outdoor festival as the setting in Phoenix, our production manager, Jimmy, pulled some strings to set up our first backstage hang of the tour. We confiscated some little VIP area that they had set up. We pulled different plants, couches, put it behind the fence and, and uh, just really made this little magical zone. I actually remember the, uh, what was it called, the Innings Fest? as being what truly felt like a little bit of a release because it was outside. The crew and everybody was kind of hanging out, mostly unmasked, and it was sunny. And we'd also gotten through the tour. We knew that was the last show. We'd done a lot of tours. That was, to me, that was the hardest one ever, but also the most rewarding. I would say the only tour that rivaled that one um, in terms of making me go crazy would be the one that happened directly after it in Europe. Well, we'll leave it there then. That's 28 shows in 40 days across the U.S. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and then we're going to come back in mid-March 2022 in Helsinki, Finland. We'll see you next time on the Super High Quality Podcast. Super High Quality Podcast is put together by me, Dominic East, but I couldn't do it without Adam's help. Andrew Guerin helps with the final mix, and Austin Asnavanda helps with the audio clips. I'd like to thank the guys in the band. Adam Gronowski. Anthony Lamarca. Bobby Bennett. Charlie Hall. Dave Hartley. John Natchez. Liza Hardy-Jones. As well as our tour manager, Craig McQuiston and the entire drugs crew stage right stage left front of house backstage you guys are the best thank you so much